0: So, Romans 8, verses 31 and 32. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? I'm George. It's great to be with you today. It's lovely to see, lots of familiar faces. I cycle to work. You should be proud of me for that. Because it's not the nicest of cycles. It's not a cycle in the south of France. It's a trudge along the A45. It's grim. And a couple of months ago, I was cycling to work, grumbling a bit probably, because it was probably raining. And as I was going along, this car flew past me, nearly knocking me off, and I was really, really frustrated because the roads were empty. It was in the, the morning, there was no need. So what started off as a grumble ends up as a rant. I was just I was furious with this driver. And then as I was going along, there was glass in the way, there was rubbish everywhere. I was having a full-on rant to myself at six o'clock in the morning. And then we all kind of do this, you know, one thing leads to another, and suddenly we just get so frustrated at everything. And as I was ranting, I was thinking, right, what's the problem? What's the problem? I decided the problem was. Everyone in Birmingham was awful, and there needed to be more like me. <laughs> because I was cycling. I wasn't knocking people off their bike. I was the hero. So I was cycling along. I resolved it. I was going well. And I resolved it so well in my head that I didn't even think about where I was going. I flew onto a roundabout and nearly hit, hit into a car that I should have given way to. It was a bit embarrassing. And to be honest... I realized that everything and Birmingham wasn't awful, or they were, and I fitted that category too. I, too, was the problem. And it reminded me of a quote that someone famous once said. They were asked what the biggest problem in the world was. And their answer was me. (laughs) See, we have a problem, don't we? We have a problem that we see, We've got a problem that we live with and we're a problem that we're part of every single day. And the Bible calls that problem sin. We could, do it, do, we could call it doing wrong. We could call it rebelling, lying, cheating, lusting. Proudly going into a roundabout and crashing into people. The problem is that we were created to live with God in perfect union, without sin. Yet who of us has Who of us has lived a perfect life so far? And because of this, we're sinners and we're separated from God. Because think about it. How could God be with us? He is perfect. He is good, perfect and true. He is all that is lovely. And we're all that is wrong. And we're all that is not. So we're separated from God. And don't we know it? Our lives are a mess. Our world is a mess. We're broken, and in one, two, three, five, ten, forty years' time, we're going to die. I'll be separate from all that is good, true, and great. Separate from God, forever in hell. See, the ultimate outcome of this doing wrong, this sin, is death. It's eternal separation from God. And it's also battling through this difficult, painful life alone. We lie in bed, don't we? And who we are and what we've done haunts us. We go through life subconsciously aware that we're living in sin, living in rebellion to the God who made us. So we distract ourselves with anything that will numb. Entertainment, pleasure, social life, you name it. So folks, that's the life, that's our life, that's the problem. That's the situation we've got ourselves in. And God has all right to say to us, you've made your bed, now go on and lie in it. But he doesn't. He offers himself. Jesus, God, comes to earth, dies as a sacrifice for our sin, raises to new life three days later. See, God doesn't just cover up our sin. He doesn't just pretend it's not there. That's not justice at all. That's just ridiculous. He pays the price that we would have to pay. Death. So that we can have life. The Bible says that as Jesus was nailed to the cross, so too were our sins nailed to the cross. They were taken away, forgiven, paid for, and triumphed over. God didn't have to do this. He did not have to lower himself and give up his life as a sacrifice, But out of his love, out of his mercy, he chose to. He chose us. So when we look at our passage for today, and we read the words in verse 32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, we can now understand it a bit better. God the Father did not spare his own son. There's a cost there. There's a great painfulness. God the Father did not spare and he gave him up for us. Not only is this the greatest demonstration of love, but it's the greatest demonstration of God being for us. And this changes absolutely everything. I could spend all week chatting to you about this and just not even scratch the surface. But I've got a time limit today, so I'm going to give you two ways, two ways that God being for us changes our life. Firstly, it means if God is for us, we need not fear sickness. So just so you know, Paul, the chap who wrote this book of the Bible, Romans 8, or Romans in chapter 8, He was a man who'd been nearly stoned to death, he'd been beaten loads of times, and he'd literally been shipwrecked. So Paul, like you and me, knows what it is to face opposition. He knows the pressures of life, the battles, the struggles, the sorrows. Like you and me, Paul has needs. He is needy, he's weak. And he does struggle. He knows what it means for people to be against him. And yet he can say the words in verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? So because we know that Paul knew hardship and difficulty, we know that he's not saying that if God is for us, we're not going to get ill. We'll never face opposition. No. These things can And they will happen to us. What he's saying, is what Callum said earlier, is that nothing can be against us as strong as God is for us. And because of that, because God is so strongly for us, we need not fear what life throws at us. Now this might be all very good and well, theologically, in our our noggin. But what does that actually mean? What does that mean about sickness? How does God being for us affect that? How can we not fear that terrifying diagnosis? How can we not fear that debilitating illness or that frustrating sickness? Well, Paul actually covered this a few verses earlier. Looking at Romans 8, to 23, it's on the screen. He wrote this. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. So what Paul is saying is that if God is for us, then we are Jesus is. We are in Christ Jesus. We are adopted. We are His. We are sealed in Him, which means that we are residents of heaven and we are strangers here on earth. And heaven, there's going to be no sickness. There's going to be no mental health struggles. We're going to be perfect as Jesus is. And Paul calls this the redemption of our bodies. So as we face physical and mental illness here on earth, we groan. We've grown with creation, longing for our home in heaven, where we will be healed and we'll be made whole. You see, church, if God is for us, then we have hope, no matter what befalls us. The illness, the sickness, it is not the end. I looked up this week, The difference between a diagnosis and a prognosis. Now, this is radical for me, but for the doctors in the room, they're going to be laughing. See, a diagnosis identifies a person's current condition, whereas a prognosis describes its implications for the future. Jenna will run to me at the end if that's wrong. Is it right? So diagnosis, what the problem is, and prognosis, what is to come. So we go to the doctors. They give us a diagnosis. They tell us what is wrong. And then they give us a prognosis by saying how it's going to affect us going forward in our life. But if we're a Christian, if we are in Jesus and we have his life because he took our death, then we actually have a gospel prognosis. We will be with Jesus forever in perfect joy and perfect Health. You see, a consultant might give us a heartbreaking prognosis of just a few months left to live, yet our gospel prognosis remains. If the doctor's prognosis comes true and our time on here reaches its end, our eternal gospel prognosis will come true too. We will meet Jesus and we will be with him forever in joy and in perfect health. Nothing can be against us as strong as God is for us. Whatever ill health befalls us, whether a common cold or an aggressive cancer, we can say, if God is for us, who can be against us? You see, if we beat cancer and we go into a mission, then glory to God but if we die, then we'll be in glory with God. There will be great sorrow and sadness for those we leave behind. But mingled with that grief, we'll be rejoicing for our gospel prognosis. The redemption of our bodies. So if God is for us, we need not fear sickness. If God is for us, we need not fear Sin. Let's read verse 32 again. Look what mean and your Bibles on the screen. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? So a second point. If God is for us, we need not fear sin. I think there are two common ways that we can fear sin. The first is over historic sin, and the second is a fear of future sin. Sin. So looking at the historic sin first. This is something we've done in the past, whether decades, years, or months ago. Sin that hangs over us. It robs us of all our joy and all our peace in Jesus. Has something you've done in the past crippled you into a prison cell of shame and guilt? You've got perhaps a few moments in the morning where you're blissfully unaware as soon as you remember that thing in your past, that burden falls back on your shoulders. The first half of verse 32 speaks right into this. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. As I said earlier, the giving up of Jesus' life on the cross and his resurrection three days later changes absolutely everything. His death paid for your sin once and for all. His resurrection triumphed over it. So no matter how big, how horrific the cross is greater, the sacrifice of Jesus is stronger. So be assured. The sacrifice on Jesus on the cross is powerful enough and detailed enough to pay the price of something like an exaggeration all the way up to the taking of someone's life. So, when the fear of historic sin rises up, confess it. Ask Jesus for forgiveness. Then walk free as an innocent man, thanking and praising God. But the fear of future sin—this is the fear of screwing it all up in the future. The fear of making a mess of everything at some point in your life. Are you nervous of the future? You're afraid of the weaknesses that you know and you see in yourself and afraid that one day these weaknesses will get the better of you and you'll destroy your friendships or your family. Listen to the second half of verse 32. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? If God the Father gave his son Jesus as a sacrifice on the cross for our payment of sin, How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? How will he not also give us everything we need to persevere and keep in him? The greater thing is the giving up of Jesus on the cross. So if he's done that, then he can keep us in him. And the all things that God will graciously give us is everything we need to make it to glory and enjoy God forever. It's everything we need to be conformed to Jesus to do God's will. In fact, it's all blessings, spiritual and material, that we require on the path towards final salvation. So if God is for us, we need not fear sin. Past or future, if God is for us, we need not fear sickness. So now, let me ask you the question that Paul poses at the beginning of our text what then shall we say in response to these things what do you say in response to these things where does God fit into your life does he have a capital G or does he have a lowercase G is Jesus the Lord of your life number one Or is he just another one among many gods in your heart? Perhaps sitting in between sport and holidays, just over from Instagram and pleasure. Is Jesus perhaps just a nice guy who did some stuff, a historical figure? If Jesus is anything less than the one true God in your life, then there's a problem. If Jesus isn't your Lord and King, then you're against God. You're actively against God. And none of the great blessings I've spoken about will apply to you. You'll waste your life and you'll waste your eternity. And if that is you this morning, my plea, my plea to you, don't stay there. Don't continue on another moment Against God. I ask you, don't leave this building and waste your life in sin. Give up your gods of comfort and of pleasure and of Instagram following. Give your gods of success, money, and power because they are fake gods and they will fail you. If you're against God, you don't need to stay there. Jesus has done the work. He's at the door of your heart knocking. Submit your life to him. Repent. Cry out for forgiveness. And you'll get it. And you'll get a whole lot more. You'll get Jesus. If you want to do this, if you want to know more about this, then please grab me after the service. I'd love to check. We're going to sing a song in a minute. Me and Johnny are going to be at the back. We'd love to pray with you about this. Come and have a chat. But if, if Jesus is the Lord and King of your life, then glory, because in him we are more than conquerors. Here are the last few verses from chapter 8. Who will bring any charge against whom those God has chosen? in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you did not leave us alone in our sin to be separate from you forever, but you made a way. And we thank you that you did the work. You paid the price on the cross. So Lord, this morning, give us eyes to see how we stand before you. If we stand in Jesus, our sin is paid for. Give us joy in life. Give us strength to not fear sickness or not fear sin. But if we stand before you, outside of God, against you, then help us to feel the weight of that. And lead us into repentance and forgiveness at the foot of the cross. Amen.